have a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Mark. Um, I'm the teaching pastor at the Yoder campus. Um, And and before I get started this morning, I want to give a shout out to name tags. Um, Name tags are helpful. I, I am an outsider, I feel, on Sunday mornings at this campus, um, and, and so when I come in, I probably talk to 60 people already, but to get 60 names from here to here is super difficult. So I know a lot of you that I talk to, and if I say, hey, buddy, it's because you don't have a name tag on. So um, next week, do us a favor to make this place welcoming, not, for, not only for new people, but people who have bad memories like me, and wear a name tag. Um, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now. Um, so from everyone at the Yoder campus, hey, how's it going? Um, and uh, this morning it was kind of interesting because the first service videoed me and sent it to Yoder. So I had this weird, like, circle of, of information going from Yoder and back again this morning. Um, this morning we're talking about technology. We're beginning our series entitled The Theology of Technology. What does God have to say about our technology and the way we use technology in our lives? So I wanted to start off this morning um, by showing you some technology from the year I was born. Um, The NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the original version, was released the year I was born. Um, And I'm going to ask you at the end if you can guess what year this was. Um, So the second piece of of technology would be IBM's very first laptop. It was amazing. It only weighed 13 pounds. Um, So that was invented or released the year I was born. Um, The technology that took people to space had a big event. Um, The Challenger exploded the year I was born. Um, And this was the brand new family car of the year I was born. So does anybody have a guess what year do you think I was born? 85 was close. 86, you're right, 86. Um, That's the year that I was born, and that's the year that the most awesome technology was invented. Um, So what is technology? What I want you guys to do is I want you to to reach in your pockets or dig through your purses or or somewhere around you. I want you to pick up some piece of technology and hold it in the air. I'm going to use my PowerPoint clicker. So grab a piece of technology and hold it up in the air. Seeing a lot of cell phones. I see a baby bottle. I see a bulletin. Anything else? A pen. All right, you can put them down. So, so we have lots of technology. Basically, everything in this entire room, except for our physical bodies, is some form of technological advancement. From the shoes on our feet, um, to the shovels over here in the bucket, to my coffee cup, are human inventions made to to help us navigate the world. The definition that we want to use for this series of what technology is, is it's the human activity of using tools to transform creation for practical ends. The human activity of using tools to transform God's creation for practical ends. Kind of an easy way to remember this is that we use stuff to change creation because we want to. That's what technology means. We use stuff to change creation because we want to. So you might be asking, like, why are we even studying technology? Why, why would Journey as a whole be looking at technology? The Bible doesn't even say anything about cell phones or computers or tablets. Why would we even bother? And I would say that, that my life and your lives are completely saturated with technology. Every moment of every day, you, you are, in, are around technology. And I think we as Christians would also say that every moment of every day of our entire life, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. So if those two things are happening all the time, why wouldn't we look at them? So that's why we as a church over the next couple weeks are going to look at technology. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and I want you to raise your hand if you believe these statements are true. Do you believe in general that technology is a good thing? Do you believe in general that technology is a good thing? All right. Most of us, or at least a good percentage. The second question is, do you believe in general that technology is a bad thing? Anybody with that? 
less of us, but definitely some of us believe that technology is a bad thing. One of the interesting um, statistics that I ran across this week is that there are three stages of the acceptance of technology. The first stage is um, before me. So before I was born, there was technological advancement. And if, if technology was developed before I was born, it's, I don't even think about it as technology. Humans are like, oh, it's just normal. Like, there's windows in my house? Okay, whatever. That's not even technology. It's normal. So anything that happened before I was born is just a part of life. Anything that happens between birth and age 30 is, like, amazing. Like, it's new. We should grab it and run with it. We should use it and, and, and adjust it and tweak it so that we can use it for the betterment of society. So birth and age 30 is like, let's embrace it. And then from about age 30 to death, most humans tend to look at technology with some skepticism. It's like, ooh, I don't know. Like, it should, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we shouldn't use that. Maybe, maybe it's going to harm us in some way. So I think it's helpful to realize, like, which category are you in because it helps you relate to the other categories. Um, and my goal for this morning is not to um, cast judgment on any given technology, but it's just to help us understand it a little bit. So do I believe technology can be good? Yes, I do. An example would be um, antibiotics and other medical treatments. So in, in the year 1900, um, the CDC reports that in the year 1900, 30% of humans died before age 5. So that in 1900, if you reached the age of 5, you were... You were um, one of 70% of humans. So three out of 10 people died before the age of five. But in the year 1997, that percentage dropped to 1.4%, largely to the invention of antibiotics and other medical technology. But from 30% death rate to 1% death rate is pretty amazing. So is technology good? Yes, it can be. Is technology bad? Yes, I think it can be bad. Um, in, in 2016, there were 500 accidental deaths from guns. And that's not like murders or other intentional reasons. There are 500 people in the U.S. that died accidentally because of technology of guns. So can technology be good? Yes. Can it be bad? Yes. But there are some people that would argue that technology is neutral. The technology isn't good or bad. It's just how we use it. And I would say that that is completely false. Technology is not neutral. And this is the point that we're going to talk about most today, is that technology will change us regardless, just because it exists. So I, I use the example of tech being good and bad with antibiotics and guns. But I think those things can actually be flipped the other direction. Like antibiotics are good. They save lives. But antibiotics are also responsible for the invention of superbugs. Or not invention, but the creation of superbugs. There's these bacteria, because we use antibiotics, that have been developed um, by, I don't even know the, technology or the, the scientific words, but the, there are things that, that modern medicine can't fight because we've used antibiotics. So antibiotics are good and bad. And then guns are another one that I gave a bad example of, but, but guns transformed the way early pioneers were able to provide food for their family. So it can be good, it can be bad, but it's not neutral. So if we take a look at our definition of technology for this morning, we use technology to transform God's creation. We also, like I just said, must acknowledge that technology changes us. So I want to use the example of a shovel. So I have some shovels over here. Um, does a shovel change creation? How? How does a shovel change creation? It's pretty obvious. It moves dirt around. Yeah. Okay. So a shovel changes creation because if you use it, there's a hole there now. Creation is now different. Okay. So we would agree that a shovel changes creation. Does a shovel change me? Would you say that a shovel changes me? If so, how? How does a shovel change me? It makes me sweat. How else? 
Blisters, yeah, those are never fun. How else? How else does it change? If we use a shovel a lot, what does it do? Oh, yeah, like my muscles will be huge if I shoveled every day. So a shovel is a really good example of technology because regardless of how I use it, whether I use it for good or for bad, it's going to change me. If I use a shovel to dig a grave for someone I just murdered, I'm going to get blisters, I'm going to sweat, and I'm going to get stronger. If I use a shovel to dig in my garden to plant, to plant vegetables to donate to the soup kitchen, I'm going to get blisters, I'm going to sweat, and I'm going to get stronger. The technology doesn't care how I use it. If I use it, I will be changed. Technology is not neutral. So I, I want us to, to kind of ask these two questions about technology before we kind of decide how to use it or, or what to use it for. The first question is, what is its purpose? What is the purpose of the technology that I'm looking at? So a shovel, what's the purpose we talked about? It's to move dirt around more effectively. Okay, so that's the purpose. And the second thing is, how will I be changed by this technology? I will be changed if I use this technology by blisters, sweating, and getting stronger. But I would add another one to that, that even the presence of a shovel in my garage changes the culture of my household. That the presence of a shovel in my garage changes the culture of my household, because if I wake up on a Saturday morning and I, tell them, I talk to my kids, I'm like, what do you want to do today? If they say, we, we want to plant a tree, okay, if I don't have a shovel in my garage, I'm like, ugh, today is going to be awful. Like, my fingers are going to be raw. It's going to take me hours to dig that hole. But if I have a shovel in my garage and my kids say, hey, we want to plant a tree, it's like, okay, cool. Ten minutes later, there's a hole, put the tree in, throw some water on, and we're done. Go do something else. The presence of a shovel in my garage changes the culture my house. Technology changes us whether we like it or not. Whether we use it or not, it will change us by its mere presence. So what does the Bible have to say about technology? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. If you're using the red Bibles in the chairs, it's uh, page 1. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and I'll be reading verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We pick up the story here after God has created almost everything, not quite everything. And this is what God says. Genesis 1, chapter 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God made us in his image and in his likeness. Now we would argue that God is a fairly creative being. I mean, he created everything. And he did it by just speaking. So God is, is super creative. And we are made just like God or in the image of God. So we are created to be creative. So the fact that we change things and we use things and we, and we, and we do technology, is we're doing exactly what God created us for. An example of this is, is a little bit further on in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. We see that God gives humans a purpose as a part of the creative process. Genesis 2, verse 15 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, to work it and take care of it. So God gave Adam a job to do in this creative process. Adam was created to be creative. Now, um, a little, or no, a part of this, I want to pick out a few words um, in this verse. The first one is the word put. Now, this word put in the original Hebrew can be translated a whole bunch of different ways. It can be uh, that God put Adam in the garden. He deposited him in the garden. He allowed Adam to stay in the garden. He bestowed the garden on Adam. 
He cast Adam down, left him there, let him alone. But all of, the, all of the translations from the Hebrew to English do have the connotation of rest. We kind of miss that in the English. But when you look at the original Hebrew, the, the word that is translated put has the connotation of rest. And I like that, that God put Adam in this garden to work it, but also to rest. The second word I want to look at is this word work. In the original Hebrew, um, it can be translated into English as work, cultivate, till or serve. So that Adam was put in the garden to serve the garden, to work it, to till it. Um, it's, it's like Adam was put there to, like, to serve creation. We are created to be creative, but also to serve creation. So this term also, this term work also assumes the use of tools. So I think we can assume in this that like the use of technology was around even before sin came in. So for those of us that say technology is all bad, I think we can point to this and say, I think God intended some technology to be there. And the third phrase that I want to look at, the third uh, words in this verse is to take care of it or to keep it. We can also translate this to mean protect or keep maintain. Um, Adam was not just put there to work it, but he was there to protect it. We're We're not only created to be creative with technology for our own use, We're created to protect God's creation, and I think that's a fairly important piece of the puzzle. And if we continue on a few verses into Genesis 2, 19 and 20, um, God gives Adam a task. God gives Adam a task. What does he task Adam with in Genesis 2, 19? Anybody want to just take a guess? Giving names. So God told Adam, I want you to name everything. So I find it interesting that God actually gave Adam the technology of language to be creative and to name all of the animals. It says that God created everything but didn't name it. And he said, Adam, take care of that for me. So God included technology in Adam's work. Adam was created to be creative. So we see that there are examples of technology in the very, very beginning. But are there any parts of the Bible that show us how to use technology. Like, how do we discern what to use, what not to use? Um, And I think there are. There are two passages. I'd like you to turn with me to either one of these. Pick, it doesn't matter. They both say the same thing. 2 John 12 or 3 John 13 and 14. It's on page 1121 and 1122 if you're in the Red Bibles. 2 John 12 or 3 John 13. In both of these verses, we see John like, grappling with this new technology, this brand new technology. This new technology of John's day was paper. And John was trying to decide, how much do I use paper or how, how little do I use paper? And this is what we see John saying in 2 John 12. I have much to write to you, but I do, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. So, so John uses this technology of paper and pen because we have this stuff written down. But he says, basically, like, I, I want to be careful how much I use it. And actually, I find it really interesting that First John, there's three letters from John. First John is super long and mentions nothing about being careful how much you use paper. And second John is really short and says, ooh, I want to be careful how much I write. And third John is also really short and says, ooh, I want to be careful how much I write. I kind of wonder if John wrote the first letter, sent it off, he said everything he wanted to say, wrote it all down, sent it off, and it was like, ooh, that didn't work very well. And so he learned about using technology, and then he wrote the second and the third letter with a little bit more understanding of like, man, this technology changes my relationship with the people that I'm writing to. 
So the purpose of John's letters was to communicate across time and distance. John was, John was communicating people that weren't with him in time, like they, they read that letter at a different time, and also very far away in distance. So that was the purpose of the letter. And then the second question, the answer to the second question is, I think what John is really grappling with is how will these letters change our relationship? And he's trying to figure this out. And I think this, this scripture has a lot to say to us about um, how we look at technology. So if, we look at, so if we look at technology and these two questions today, in 2018, like what does it mean for us today? And I'd like to think about technology using, using two examples um, about the Bible, actually. Because before about the, ninth, or the 1400s, before the 1400s, the Bible was all handwritten on scrolls. And these scrolls were pretty big. Um, and the only people that really were allowed to read these scrolls were priests. And so in the, in the 1400s, the printing press was invented, and, and there were more copies of the Bible available because they could print multiple copies of the Bible. And it wasn't until about the mid-1800s that these printed Bibles became cheap enough for individual families to own. So it wasn't until the mid-1800s that, that like, private devotion time with the Word of God was even a thing. It's kind of crazy to me to think about that because today, as a Christian, it's like, man, reading my Bible is like a cornerstone of being a follower of Jesus. It is like, daily reading your Bible is what you do. But before, like, 1850, like, it wasn't even possible. So the technology of the printed word has changed over time. In, In about 1990, projection screens, very similar to the ones we use here at Yoder, became popular in churches. And the goal of, of, of projection screens was to make it accessible for large groups of people to read scripture and sing together um, it, it much easier. So how are we changed by these technologies? Well, I would say that the, the printed word, the printed Bible, the individual copy of the Bible, allow us to interact with the word of God whenever and wherever we want to. It's amazing. Like, I can access the words of God in the bathroom if I want to. Okay, that's like the, the accessibility and the transportability of the Bible changed dramatically whenever we have printed Bibles. Something else that has affected us is that we no longer necessarily rely on, pub, on, on group discernment of what the Bible means. Because we each have individual copies of the Bible, it has allowed us to say, no, I think this means this, and I disagree with you. So I think that the printed Bible actually opened the door to the breakdown of the Christian church globally. Because we have all, all of us, I think me included, we all have our ability to interpret it ourselves instead of corporately. So that has really changed the Christian church. And I think the screens, um, what, have, what have screens done for the Christian church? Um, it has allowed us to share together in corporate worship and in corporate scripture reading. I think it's kind of funny that if we move forward in technology and back in tradition. So we move forward and we use these screens, but we're actually reading the Bible corporately, which is what would have been done before the printing press. There's, the, the historians would say that from about 1500 to 2000 is going to be this odd blip in hi- human history. That between 1500 and 2000 will be the only time in human history that printed words are the primary form of communication. And we are just exiting that. So I, I don't know where we'll go in the, in the next hundred years. Um, but I find it interesting in the changes that it's made even in church. Our goal for today is not to pass judgment on any particular technology. I'm going to leave that fun subject for Eric. Um, our goal for today is to merely begin to ask questions 
to begin to ask questions that allow us to more fully understand the effects of technology so that then we can discern how or when or why to use technology. Because we often consume technology without fully understanding what changes it will bring. We often consume technology without fully understanding the changes it will bring. An example of this is the appliance boom of the 1930s and 1940s. We're going to watch a quick video, um, and then we'll talk some more about it. Here's electricity's answer to the most disagreeable of all household tasks, dishwashing. Instead of spending four years of her life over a dishpan, the modern housewife simply turns the switch of her GE dishwasher and the whole day's accumulation of dishes is washed automatically in five minutes. No dishes can slip from wet, soapy hands because they are placed in resilient racks that protect even your most fragile china and washed by the scrubbing, swirling action of water that is far hotter than hands can stand. And what about cooking utensils, pots and pans, even egg beaters and sieves are washed in this electric dishwasher? Of course, you can polish the glasses if you want to give them a nice crystal luster, but the old chore of wiping the dishes is gone, and won't hubby be glad? For your dishes come out so clean that they squeak, and when the lid is raised, they dry from their own heat. What's more, this GE dishwasher actually cleans itself. With the GE dishwasher, you save endless hours of time, eliminate costly breakage, and protect your home from the menace of the family cold and other infections that originate in the lukewarm water of the average dishpan. You can't afford to be without this modern convenience. <laughs> so, you cannot afford to be without this modern convenience. That's what, that's what America was told um, at the time of this commercial in the 1930s and 40s, and we can continue to be told this about new technologies. One of the things about these time-saving gadgets, microwaves, automatic washing machines, dishwashers, riding lawnmowers, TV dinners, there was a whole bunch of things that came on the scene in the 30s and 40s. And, and it was all about saving time and getting rid of unwanted chores. But there were some unintentional changes that happened that, that we didn't even realize for decades. So the faster, easier way to do things actually took the, mo the movement out of our daily life. So instead of scrubbing laundry on, on a washboard, we now just push a button. And instead of pushing our lawnmower uh, through the grass, we just sit and sip our iced tea. And, and so these things that we're supposed to, that, or actually do, make life faster and easier also made us slower and fatter. And, and so I think, I'm not saying that these technologies are bad. I have a washing machine and a riding lawnmower. But th there, were some tech, there were some changes in our culture that we didn't even think about. We're like, oh, we'll save time, but it's like, okay, then what? Okay? So all I want us to realize is that, is that without understanding the way technology is going to change us, we can't fully decide, like, how do we let it into our lives? So I want to end with one example and one story from the life of Jesus. So if you walk into an empty room, um, and there's two chairs set up, very similar to these two stools here. If you walk into the room, the very presence of these two chairs gives you an idea of what's supposed to happen in the room. Like you walk in, you're like, hmm, I guess somebody's going to sit down, or maybe I should sit down. The very presence of them changes the way that room functions. Now, if we just move the orientation of these chairs just slightly, and we put them around a table, just the very presence of this added piece of furniture changes the feeling and the culture of that room. I walk in, and I'm like, oh, somebody else is probably going to join me. Maybe I should sit down. Maybe we'll have a conversation. And so we sit here and we talk. 
just the very presence of a table changes the culture. Now, I want to add something to that. If I add my cell phone to the top of this table, this amazing thing happens. The, the two people that are here talking now have the ability to get vast amounts of, tech, of technological advancement at our fingertips. If I have a question, I'm like, oh, man, I can't remember what Glenn said last week. Well, I just call him and ask him. Or if, if it's like, oh, I want that piece of information I just can't remember. I just get on Google and I look for it. It's, it's really cool how this interaction is just changed by the, the culture of this interaction is changed by the presence of the phone. Now also, with the presence of this phone, I, I am actually inviting all of you into this conversation. Because at any given time, you guys can call me, and you can, you can, you can not necessarily interrupt, but you can join this conversation. So the very presence of technology changes our culture and who we are. We see this in the, in the life of Jesus. Jesus is hanging out at um, Mary and Martha's house. And Mary and Martha are sisters. And Martha is, um, she is making a meal. She's in the kitchen using some kind of technology, probably pots and pans, maybe a fire. Um, and she is in there working. And Mary is sitting with Jesus, and she is listening and talking to Jesus. And the sisters kind of get in a little bit of an argument. Uh, the, the, Martha says, like, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. She's being lazy. Like, come help me. And we see Jesus' response is, is, I think, speaking to technology. He's saying, hey, Martha, like, leave the technology aside. We can have cold cuts tonight. I desire relationship. The very presence of technology changes the way we interact with people and the culture in which we do it. So before we pass any judgment on technology, I would invite us to ask these two questions. Reflect on what is the purpose of the technology and how will I or we be changed because it exists? So that's all I have for this morning. Thank you. Good morning as we respond.